Hello and welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. Today we are extremely fortunate to be joined by Lauren Noble. Lauren is a good friend of Yankee Institute and not incidentally, the founder and executive director of the William Buckley Institute at Yale. And Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Carol. I really appreciate it. And before we get started, please tell everyone about the wonderful work you do at the Buckley Institute. It really is a a great, great um, institution to have here in Connecticut and just a wonderful thing in general. And everyone should really know about the good work it does. Well, so we got started uh, in early 2011. Uh, We were founded. I started while a senior at Yale. Um, and I had felt that there was an absence of intellectual diversity on Yale's campus. So we started off just as a small speaker series uh, to bring a, a dose of uh, much needed intellectual diversity to the campus conversation. And here we are 12 years later. Uh, we now have over 600 student fellows as our student members. That's just shy of, of 10% of the undergraduate population. Uh, and our mission is to bring that intellectual diversity to Yale's campus and to promote uh, freedom of speech and and also to provide a home for uh, serious conservative thought on campus. So we have uh, lectures, debates, seminars, conferences uh, throughout the year, uh, and it's really uh, grown quite a bit in the past few years, especially. It is just a great thing. And we're so glad it's there. And it seemed to us there was no one better than you, more fully equipped to talk a little bit about what has been going on on college campuses uh, since the Israel-Hamas war started and uh, this upsurge of uh anti-Semitism that I don't think has started, but really more has become evident. And your thoughts on what it is, what it means for the Ivy League, and uh, and what you're hearing, at least at Yale. Uh, has, has there been a lot of this on the Yale campus? And what are some of the Buckley fellows thinking and saying about it? Yeah, so we actually, we have a podcast of our own called Pod and Man at Yale, and we recently had an episode on being a Jewish on, on campus. And uh, we had two Jewish students on who were talking about you know, their experiences. And one one student said that it was so, so bad in his experience that he was looking at uh, trying to graduate a semester early, if that was possible. Uh, they very much, you know, felt that the u- university uh, seems to be, you know, interested in supporting every minority uh, except for Jews. So, I mean, there are definitely uh, problems uh, at, at Yale for sure. They haven't made uh, as much, you know, media attention as uh, what we've seen, you know, at Harvard and places like that. But you know, there was a Yale professor, Zarina Gruel, who uh, she uh, got some attention for her tweets. Uh, that were you know very much sort of celebrating what happened on October seventh. She said uh, this is this is an extraordinary day, um, and was very much excusing uh, the you know violence of Hamas. Uh, there was also an issue with the Yale Daily News. Uh, there was a two students actually who wrote pro-Israel columns. Found out a couple of weeks later that their columns had been edited. And uh, their references to Hamas uh, beheading men and raping women were removed. And the YDN said that these were 
unsubstantiated uh, claims. Uh, fortunately, yes. And I mean, we- you don't get much more substantiated than, you know, the IDF. Well, I mean, Hamas actually, weren't they putting GoPros on themselves as they went in and did this stuff? Right, right. That's, then- that's what's been blowing my mind about so much of what's been going on. It's like the people, the perps are actually like they've gone one better than what General Eisenhower did when he went into the concentration camps. You know, they are actually documenting and bragging about it themselves. Even the Nazis had the good grace not to sort of brag about their acts of violent inhumanity. But go ahead. Right. And well, and and these these edits happened a couple of weeks you know, after the events that so it wasn't even in the heat of the moment, in the fog you know, of war not, or something. Exactly. Yes. exactly. Yes. So that's, I think, what made it all the more shameful. I mean, the good the good news was there was a strong you know backlash against this and the YDN you know, reversed its decision and returned the columns back to their original state. That, you know, was was certainly uh, a big a, a big incident. Um, I mean, there's certainly been a number of events, you know, on campus with, you know, anti-Israel speakers, uh, you know, just this weekend. I mean, this this was not on campus, but on the New Haven Green, uh, there were there's a menorah there that, you know, some protesters put a Palestinian flag on. Um, and, you know, y- there's a Yaleys for Palestine group that they've released some statements that, you know, have also sort of celebrated the violence of Hamas and saying that they have the right to armed struggle to resist the settler colonial state, as they call it. So uh, there's definitely been some alarming incidents on Yale's campus, for sure. You know, it's uh, it's really interesting. So how how do the conservative students who are not themselves Jewish, how, uh, have they had anything to say about it? Or is it something that really, in a sense, they view, uh, obviously, with disfavor, but they don't really feel, you know, I mean, directly implicates them? Um, You know, some conservative students who are not Jewish have certainly spoken out uh, against uh, what's been happening on, on campus, against, you know, the anti-Semitism we've been seeing on campus. We actually had another you know episode of our Pod Man at Yale podcast where some students who were not Jewish, you know, went out of their way to tell, you know, their Jewish classmates that these, you know, extreme anti-Semitic, you know, views that are being aired on campus uh, certainly don't represent all, you know, students and, 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 you know, that these conservative students are, you know, standing with their uh, Jewish friends and classmates. So that certainly has been uh, encouraging to see. You know, it's so interesting because um, it would seem obvious to me that that clearly this pro-Palestinian stuff, it isn't just anti-Semitic. It's really anti-Western in every sense. I mean, it's anti-American, you know, pro sort of um, Marxist. I mean, it's the whole sort of left right divide. And I mean, what, 50, 60 years ago, Jewish people were having a very difficult time accessing the Ivy League in some sense because they were seen as being sort of not sufficiently Western. And now here with this new sort of identity politics and this new Marxist lens of, uh, you know, oppressed, non-oppressed, now the problem is apparently they are too Western and the epitome of the oppressors. And, and 
once again, they are taking it on the chin just for the opposite reason. Quite mm-hmm. remarkable. Mm-hmm. De- definitely. It, it seems that this mindset that we've pushed on young people of everyone's either oppressed or, or an <laughs> oppressor, that really uh, has not resulted in a good outcome here. Um, it seems that, you know, for all the talk of you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and the talk of, you know, Yale has belonging at, at Yale. Well, I think, you know, a lot of Jewish students are wondering, well, how do I belong uh, on a campus in this kind of environment? I completely agree with you. There's, um, you know, very much, a, you know, anti-Western push with all this. I mean, and you see it very much in, you know, the language, you know, the talk of, you know, decolonizers and settler <laughs> states and decolonization. Um, so I think, and I think, you know, the fact that college campuses, there's so much uh, groupthink and conformity, and there's just such a lack of political diversity on campus. I, I think that that's certainly made matters, you know, worse because there are less and less people to, you know, push back on that trend. Yeah, you know, um, if there is any silver lining, perhaps it it is the opportunity now for people to see just in some sense how um, rotten the whole university situation has become in terms of the hypocrisy. Because you see this this whole DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion construct that has been pushed down on everyone and especially with this sort of totalitarian zeal for the past three years. And yet now you see obviously that, you know, it's the perfect example of drawing circles that shut others out. Um, because obviously uh, when we are talking diversity, equity, and inclusion, we are only talking about certain kinds of diversity, certain kinds of equity, and certain kinds of inclusion. And the hypocrisy is obvious the same way as, for example, last weekend, um, or last week, I guess it was, when you had the three university presidents. And in the deepest and richest of ironies, you had them falling back on their what was apparently a profound, if not newfound, dedication to the First Amendment that I was just incredibly impressed to hear them express with such eloquence. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the it seems that everywhere you look, you're seeing these double standards. I mean, it started at right on, you know, October 7th, o- October 8th, with the whole question of universities, uh, some, you know, not issuing uh, statements, condemning <laughs> what happened and saying, oh, but, you know, we're, we're institutionally neutral. Well, they were institutionally neutral <laughs> when it came to the war in Ukraine or, you know, the affirmative action decision or supporting Black Lives Matter. And then now all of a sudden, you know, a lot of universities, you know, have, have tried to hide behind institutional neutrality. Now, you know, they're trying to, you know, hide behind freedom of speech. And it's the presidents who, who were testifying last week. I mean, a lot of those schools you know, rank very poorly in, you know, national rankings on, you know, free speech. I mean, Harvard. uh, The uh, worst. And I mean, maybe as a Yaley, you're not just trying to take an easy shot, but I went there. So I can, you know, as for law school, so I can take the easy shot. They were ranked the worst. UPenn, I have no affiliation, but I'm sorry, second to last. And I don't know, but 
as a female, I was embarrassed that those three were the examples of female college, you know, university leadership. That it was the worst. There was not a principle to be found for miles. And this whole explication of their dedication to the First Amendment, especially from Harvard, where you could apparently in recent years be busted for failing to use someone's preferred pronoun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet yeah. all of a sudden you were, you know, it was just a matter of free expression to call for genocide and you needed some particular action, maybe the beginning of a of the execution of a genocide. I don't know, but I don't understand how you start to perpetrate a genocide in order to, to be able to stop the speech about it. Right. Well, you know, I mean, you see, you know, at, at Yale, President Salovey was asked the, the day following the hearings uh, that we're talking about. Uh, he was asked by the Yale Daily News similar questions to what those college presidents were were asked. And his initial response was, well, I want to watch the hearings. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, but, and this is the day after. I mean, he saw how the hearings went, I, I would imagine. But then he did in, in the same in the same article, he was sort of quoted as also, you know, falling back on free speech and the Woodward Report, which is Yale's, you know, free speech policy. Um, but as you know, I've been watching for <laughs> for years, many occasions on which, you know, Yale has not lived up to its its promises of free expression. I mean, the one that most vividly comes to mind is there was a student, a Yale law student, who in the fall of uh, 2021 was called into the dean's office over a uh, party invitation he had sent for a party that was uh, co-hosted by the Native American uh, Law Students Association and the Federalist Society. And, you know, some students were offended by uh, some some words that that were used in his. Oh, interview. I remember this. Heather Gurkett has been the worst <laughs> in terms of the First Amendment. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, this student was was not only was he called into the, the associate dean's office and the diversity director. They had this conversation with him where they threatened his you know career uh, prospects basically and you know, told him that he needed to apologize. And they even pre-drafted an an apology for him to sign. He refused to sign. uh, And he had recorded this interaction uh, with these administrators. And so later when this was released, they said, oh, of course, we're not going to punish him. Uh, Just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, his party invitation was protected speech. But there definitely seems to be this you know, real double standard for, you know, what speech is protected and in and, and, and what speech uh, the university bureaucrats try to regulate and discourage. You know, what's interesting to me is as this goes on, you've seen Bill Ackman and some other, um, other high profile, very well-to-do people um, talking, for example, um, you know, another Another very rich guy, uh, basically threatening Penn if if its president didn't resign, which of course she has. And there are one of two ways this can work out. And and I I very much hope that that people who are um, liberal secular Jewish people 
do not fall for what I fear the universities are going to try and and lure them into, which is simply uh, going along and just arguing that, oh, yes, you know, we have just been insufficiently zealous about putting uh, Jewish people under the DEI umbrella. And what I hope they realize is the real problem is not that Jewish people have been insufficiently sheltered under the DEI umbrella. It is that the DEI umbrella itself is a corrupt and rotten and un-American thing that has to go. And that as long as there is such a thing as DEI, Jewish people, and in fact, the whole American concept is at risk and that they will insist that it be eliminated, not simply that they get their own little piece of oppression territory underneath it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think I think the it's alarming to see that some of these universities are already trying to double down on you know let's let's have more DEI. You know, Yale last week announced that uh, that they're going to now have you know, a standing committee on anti-Semitism, but also a standing committee on Islamophobia and both both of these committees are going to be under the auspices of belonging at at Yale, which is you know part of the DEI bureaucracy. So I I think that that's unfortunately it's the ideology that has been pushed by a, a lot of this DEI that has really allowed some of this hate to fester on campus in the first place, and I think has you know, driven some of the intolerance that we're seeing. So uh, I I agree with your hope that things don't go in that direction. Yes. And I just hope that our, our liberal, secular Jewish friends understand that as long as the DEI construct remains, this whole Marxist way of looking at people in the context of oppressors and oppressed, as long as this whole DEI construct remains popular and in use on college campuses. Um, they and a lot of other people will never really um, have a chance to either compete or really thrive on anything re- uh, approaching an equal footing. Right. Um, because you know, as as you know, given that that Jewish people in America tend to be white and successful they will always be cast in the role of oppressors. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, it just, the whole thing, um, if nothing else also, I hope people have taken away that in a lot of cases, the Ivy League is something that is pretending to be a meritocracy when in fact it's not a meritocracy, that these principles are being embraced and misused in a way that allow, as we saw in the testimony of these three college presidents, you know, people who are in many ways, in my view, mediocrities to uh, trade on passive institutional excellence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also, I mean, this, the events of the past two months have been a big wake up call, of course, to a lot of not only donors, but just people across the country to, you know, what's happening at these elite institutions. And every year for the past nine years, the Buckley Institute has done a national survey of college students. And one of the trends that we monitor is the, you know, the percentage of of students who think, uh, you know, that violence uh, is acceptable to, you know, stop speech that they don't like. 
And this year, the number was right around 45% of college students think that violence is uh, acceptable to you know stop speech that they don't like. And things have not been you know, trending in the right direction. I mean, you also have, uh, you know, more students than ever supporting, you know, shout downs and things like that. So I, I think, I think these things are not unrelated to Indeed. the turn that our campuses have taken. And certainly I think our elite institutions do often set the direction for, you know, where things head in, you know, higher ed- education, like whether or not you like, you know, what's happening at, you know, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, and, and and those sorts of places, it does have consequences for our country because like it or not, the students graduating uh, from those institutions are still going on to positions of leadership in both the public sector and the private sector. So I think it's important to, you know, not just kind of dismiss it as, oh, well, you know, this is, this is just, just on campus. Yeah. campuses. It, it has real consequences for people around the country. Indeed. And I think if conservatives have made any mistake over the last 40 years or so, it is not being sufficiently mindful of that. But mm-hmm. I think we are beginning to remedy that mistake. And hopefully this conversation has done its small part to move the conversation forward. So I am grateful to you, Lauren for taking the time to talk with us about all of this. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we are grateful to you, Lauren Noble, the founder and executive director of the Buckley Institute at Yale. And so thanks so much. Tell us where people can find you on online if they want to find out more about the Buckley Institute and its work. Yeah, they can go to buckleyinstitute.com. All right. Well, Lauren, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to hearing more about the wonderful work the Buckley Institute does. Thanks so much. And thanks to all of you for being with us. We look forward to having you with us again. This is Carol Platt-Lebow signing off on another edition of YCT Matters. I'll show